Hello, Hive Nation. Welcome back to the Hive Nation podcast. Each week, we have leading experts in personal and professional development share their journeys and expertise to help you connect, engage, grow, evolve. Now, here's JB to introduce today's guest. Hey, thanks, Greg. Today, we've got a a gentleman from across the pond, uh, Mr. David Groom. He's in Sydney, Australia. Uh, David uh, took his passion for judo and turned it into a business. And uh, David literally excelled, meddled, everywhere from the Commonwealth Games to, uh, you know, local tournaments and, and what have you. But uh, having the ability to want to take what you have a passion for and turn it into a business is exactly what David did. So David uh, came up with, uh, he he, uh, he stole, no, I'm, I'm just kidding, David. He, he borrowed the term judo way of life uh, from, uh, from an interesting story behind his name, but uh, Judo Way of Life Academy, which is his uh, bricks and mortar physical business in Sydney. And uh, then he's also got an online uh, presence as well, the Judo Way of Life. So, uh, David, welcome to uh, the Hive Nation podcast, and uh, it's a pleasure having you. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's uh, great to meet you both. Obviously, I, I met Greg last year in uh, Saskatoon, but thank you very much. You bet. Hey, so I'd like to start off with just, can you explain to some of our listeners how you decided that you wanted to take your passion for something that you that you at first, like you told us, you didn't have a real big heart for, like you you literally quit judo and then, you know, you got back into it and then, you know, it just kind of grew back on you. And now it's obviously uh, 27 years later. Uh, it's obviously a really big part of your life. Yeah, so first started uh the first time i stepped on a judo mat was when i was about five and i didn't really like it uh i'd have you know you get thrown bang the head a few times obviously wasn't able to break fall properly and when you're that age anything that sort of causes you any kind of like discomfort you're just like nah not interested uh and i was i was doing a lot of other sports at the time uh, i was swimming a lot and um i was doing uh there's like a well artificial ski slopes we don't have too much snow in the north of england that's uh good enough for for skiing uh but i was you know doing uh dabbling in that doing a bit of gymnastics and then a few years later my little brother when he was five same interest okay let's do some judo uh, and we were quite competitive and i was like well if he's gonna do it i'm gonna do it and started up again so i was nine got back into training um and then it wasn't the smoothest of journeys at the beginning and i think the that challenge both the physical and the emotional side was enough to really get me interested uh, and maybe determined to to learn to learn this sport and then it sort of snowballed from there really very Um, cool so when after you after you actually decided to get back into it, at what point did you decide, like in your own mind, that yeah, this is exactly what I want to do, and this is where I want to excel at, and then you know put the time into to become who you are. I probably came I became aware of it around about the age of twelve, but it definitely happened before then, because. I would look forward to training. Uh, yeah, I want that. I wanted to go to training. Uh, that's always that wasn't always the case. There were definitely some training sessions where I was pushed to step out of my comfort zone, and I would I would get quite emotional at those times because it was quite overwhelming. Um, as a kid, I was told I had ADHD, so a lot of the time in those like, very high stressful situations, like, the emotions would be quite overwhelming for me, um, and I'd get sort of 
Uh, I just have to sort of step out of the situation, really. Uh, I, I, like as an adult now, with hindsight, I, I can look back and, and understand what was going on. But as a kid, I had like no idea what was happening. So, um, but yeah, it was about 12 where I first really sort of went, oh, okay. Um, I think I was selected to uh, represent my area, so the northwest of England. And we went to a competition in Sweden. So that was my first competition overseas. And it was a really big wake-up call. And again, I was pushed out of my comfort zone in a big way. Uh, but just being selected to represent the area, and it was like, oh, this is huge. Like, it was such a massive honour um, at that time. Well, still now, massive honour when I look back. So, uh, And it was, okay, I could I could do something with this. This is something that could be bigger. So... So that's when you had that drive that just pushed you to the next level as a competition that would be something that would, you know, maybe um, spear point you that would be like, I have to do better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, when I went to this competition, I, I got beat. So it's the first time I ever got disqualified. And it's only one or two times that I've been disqualified in judo in like 24 years of competitions. Um, and I was finding a German, I, like I remember it and very clearly. And I came from Uchimata and I head dived. I didn't even know what head diving was at the time. I just I just came in. He drove my head into the floor, and I, I was disqualified. I didn't I didn't really actually know what happened, and that was it. One fight and done. And then we had a training camp, and there was several hundred kids on this training camp uh, in this ginormous sports hall in Sweden, and I got the crap beaten out of me. I was leathered every session, um, and yeah, from people <laughs> from people all around the world. And I just realized I was like, man, I'm like, this, this sport's huge. Like, and I'm I'm such a such a small part of this. And I was like, I want to be bigger. I want to be a bigger part of this. And uh, it really sort of I came away from that camp battered and bruised and a bit sort of feeling a bit sorry for myself, but but the bigger part was the, the determination to be like, you know what? No, I'm not I want to get better. I want to I want to be able to come to a competition like this and medal, you know, be able to handle myself on the training camp and uh from that point on really yeah it was a it was sort of a, a big surge in determination so to, what to did you tell that. the people who are listening to this year today the boat how you decided to take that absolute passion and push it into a a, a business type of format where you let you where you said to yourself i'm going to put this into business i'm going to excel at that business and this is how it's going to work So when I was preparing for a competition, I would I'd sort of set myself out. I knew I knew exactly when that competition was and we'd have a training plan and we'd we'd uh, we'd go into that training plan with the, the determination to to basically push it as hard as we could. And I would especially when I was making weight, I would have to know exactly how much I was eating. I would have to know, you know, where my training time was, how much sleep I was getting. So I, I sort of planned out pretty much everything leading into a competition. And those those skills and that determination, uh, I've really put into this situation now. Uh, yeah, so I, I learned those skills from early teenage years. And it's taken me a long time to, to hone and craft those skills, a lot of trial and error, a lot of, a lot of failings, a lot of mistakes. And it really helped shape the way I have approached the judo way of life. Um, and once once I made the decision to 
put myself into this and and take take this on and, and re- really grow this passion into something that could be a viable option to basically earn a living from. Uh, I've approached it with the same way. I've approached it with the same tenacity that I did with my training. Um, and, you know, the, the results didn't always reflect the amount of effort I put in. Uh, and that's also an interesting lesson to learn. You you, you know, you got to accept that. And, and again, it's something I've accepted with the judo way of life that this, this just may not pan out. There might come a point where I'm just going to have to go, you know what? I'm not able to make a living from this. Um, it's just not a viable option. Uh, and so be it. And But I understand that the only way to really get to that point is if I put the effort in. Now, like I said, I, I knew exactly what I had to do to hopefully have a good performance on the day because nothing's guaranteed. You, know, you turn up to a competition and it, you know you could be feeling crap. You could like any any one number of things could like sort of derail the the plan, right? But I still knew I had a plan and I was able to follow through on that. So I've done, I've done the same thing with this. I've got a plan uh, and, I, and I'm working through that plan step by step, uh, and and I'm trying to invest the same level of energy and focus into my business. Like I see it, I don't see it as a competition, but I see it as the same kind of requirement of my attention and my drive to get there. What is the uh, what is the most important lesson you've learned in uh, opening your own business? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me a second. <laughs> Easy questions. All the way. That's it. Uh, probably the most important lesson I've learned is just to get on with it, right? Um, I mean, we, we were just chatting just before we started, and initially I was a bit hesitant to to start putting myself out there, and it sort of tapped in a little bit to when so sort of during my my early teens or mid mid teenage years, I I started getting really nervous at competitions don't really know why and I, I just started to hesitate um and I'd, I'd throw up before every competition and it just sort of came out of nowhere and I, I thought about why and I can't really remember what was going on at the time uh but I just remember there's a there was a couple of months maybe about a year where I just started really hesitating and doubting myself and I sort of felt the same when just before that so those couple of months leading into actually when I started doing the judo way of life I wasn't throwing up, but, you know, just that sort of that hesitation, that sort of little bit of doubt creeping in. And, you know, I remember waking up one morning and I was just like, well, like, I can either just just not do it and carry on doing what I'm doing, right, and deal with the – I don't like working for other people, right? That <laughs> Plain and simple, like, I've always liked doing – that's why I've loved doing judo, right, because it's just something I can do for myself. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well – there's pain and suffering everywhere, right? So I've just got to pick the pain and suffering that I'm willing to deal with. Uh, and it was like, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm just going to push this out there. Um, so the biggest lesson I learned was just to, just to crack on with it, right? Because even now, every now and again, those little doubts pop into my head, and I laugh about them. You know, I'm like, there it is again. Cool, no worries, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. Next, next post, next, uh, next lesson plan, next whatever, right? So I, I've learned to take action. By taking action really helps to 
quiet down those occasional moments where the demons creep in. You start to question what you're doing. Uh, but I still value those times when I do question it. I don't sort of um, beat myself up about it. I think it's only natural to to question yourself. But um, it is just, yeah, just to crack on because you'll always find an excuse. You'll always find a reason not to do something. Um, and like you say, you never know. And if, if this all fails, like I'll be, well, I'll say fail. It, it can't fail in the sense of I've tried. So it can't possibly fail. So even if it doesn't sort of end up being a way of making a, a living, it doesn't matter because at least I've given it a go. At least I've put some stuff out there. And based on the, the reactions I've had of people, I've, I've definitely helped others get better at judo. So that's, that's it. That's that's mission completed. So that, that's what I set out to do with this was to add value. Um, so I, I in that respect, I have succeeded. Um, that's and if I, if I had to... Yeah, if I had to have given it a go, then I, I just wouldn't have done that or to the scale of which I've done it. So, Yeah, that's some great advice, David, for sure. Awesome. Uh, David, you've you've pulled a lot of parallels, you know, from your past, um, you know, in your judo comp- competition years and just things and lessons you've learned. How do you take that and translate it to what you're teaching, you know, your students now and and maybe even the peers around you that are that are helping you or you're helping them with judo? So I've really, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Now, when I, when I first got into coaching, uh, I was sort of doing it when I was part-time, uh, sorry, full-time as an athlete. And I was just doing a bit of coaching to basically pay rent for the, the place where I was, I was living in a judo club. And I saw coaching as a, an inconvenience that meant I couldn't rest for my training session. Because we'd coach for a couple of hours and then we'd pretty much do randori straight afterwards and I'd always be tired and I'd just be like, I could be having a sleep right now. I could just be resting up so I could do my randori session. But I was very selfish in my approach. And then as I moved into moved away from being an athlete and into this coaching role, uh, it took me a while to strip those layers of well, that selfish behavior away. Uh, and once I started to really get into coaching and realizing, okay, I need to be selfless. I need to put these athletes before me. Uh, it gave me a good time to good opportunity to reflect on, on how I'd been as an athlete and how I wanted to be as a coach. Uh, and then from that point, I was able to, I feel as a better position myself to understand what the athlete needed. And, from from that, I started to think about judo. I started to think about actually how I was conveying the information as a teacher. So not just teaching judo, just in general, just as someone trying to communicate information to another person. Um, and I thought back to like, the teachers that really impacted me, not just in judo, but at school, uh, you know, and the way they taught. Um, and I've really tried to basically be the, the sum of all those parts. And when I was at school, like there's some teachers I like, I hated. I just hated them, right? And but I thought about why, like why, why, what was it about them that I didn't like? Okay, and and the same for some judo coaches that I've met, and and just people in general. I'm just like, just you know, you just don't vibe with some people. And I thought, okay, cool. What was it about those people that 
rub me up the wrong way. Uh, and how can I sort of position myself not to hopefully do that, you know, and uh, be able to navigate those um, those situations. So a lot of self-reflection and a lot of trial and error, a lot of trial and error. Uh, and it's taken quite a bit of time to really find my voice as a coach or as a teacher. Um, and I think by listening to my students and the questions they ask, whether they're, they're a three-year-old who's just started judo or a 50-year-old who's just started judo or someone who's trying to compete internationally or who is competing internationally, you know, just really trying to listen to that person and trying to determine what they need for me to then try and get the best out of them. Um, and that, that comes down to that selflessness, right? It's just being able to listen to the other person, realizing I need to hear and understand what they want and then position myself to hopefully deliver that. So Which as an athlete, I wasn't able to do. I just cared about myself, which I think is also important. As an athlete, um, you've got to be incredibly selfish, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, and it's recognizing that and being okay with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you said that, David, because that was the kind of my follow-up question. How maybe, and uh, this might be the first question, you know, the age range that you do teach and within that, you know, how do you convey that to different age groups where, Hey, it's okay to be selfish sometimes as an athlete, but Hey, you also need to be a good teammate. You know, you have to play mm -hmm. both sides of that coin. Um, yeah. So I teach for the youngest, I teach with, uh, like four, three, four year olds. Um, the oldest I probably have regular contact that with is uh in the 50s that i directly coach there's people i train with that are, that are older than that i train with people who are in the 60s and 70s and and that's in judo and, and the olympic weightlifting that i do you know so there's definitely quite a, an older cohort mm -hmm. um but in terms of my actual coaching yeah probably sort of mid 50s um for me i just want I, I'm, I'm happy coaching i just want any, anyone that wants to learn anyone that wants to train I'm, i want to coach them right it doesn't matter what their goal is um if they want to you know put the effort in i'm i'm happy to to help and and help them along um sorry i forgot the second part of your question no problem so in that like, with that being said so you coach pretty broad spectrum which i think especially in in our sport of judo for a lot of judo teachers we do so how do you coach or you know, convey that it's okay to be selfish, but you also need to be a teammate at the same time. Yeah, so um, this was a lesson I was taught by my judo coach, Brian Moore. And we were, actually, I think it was leading into the Canadian Open. So I think, I can't remember what year it was, but we were, we were flying out to Canada. We were going to do the Quebec Open. And then the um, when it was a, a B tournament, I think they were called back then. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember we, he, he set, set myself down. Actually, I think and Michael, he was in there as well, and one of the other lads from the club, Danny. Um, and we, I think we've just been a bit, because we had to organise the trips, and I think we've been a bit lazy, um, or we just hadn't got some stuff done on time, and we've just been a bit so self-absorbed. Uh, and Brian sat us down, and he was like, lads, like this is, this is more than just being a judo player, right? It's not just about being an athlete right there's something bigger going on it's like i don't care if you lose every competition that you ever do from now on as long as you're good people 
He goes, I don't want you to win the Olympics and be a bunch of shitbags. He's like, I want you, to, you know, he's like, we're trying to, we're trying to coach you to be decent human beings, right? And yes, of course, judo players as well and good at judo, but he's like, don't forget one over the other. Um, and that lesson really sort of really hit home at the time. Um, and, you know, I've, I've sort of uh, adapted <laughs> how I explain it to, to my athletes um, in terms of how I want to try and explain it. Uh, and it depends on the situation. It also depends on the athlete. So with the younger ones, obviously, you know, you don't need to explain to a three-year-old about me. About, about hey, don't selfish. be a shitbag. <laughs> yeah, don't be a shitbag. Welcome to judo. Um, <laughs> but... I suppose it's one of those um, hard truths of the sport. You know, it's, it's okay to be selfish, but not at the expense of, you know, not being a decent human being, you know, you, and you've got to. And and it's up to the individual. Like, you know, like you say to some people and, and some people just don't care. And that's fine, right? That, that's up to them. That's their prerogative, right? If they want to be um, selfish and be a shit along the way, that's fair enough, right? You know, it's it's up to the individual. Uh, but I, I do try and pass on the sentiment that was shared with me that you know there's there's more to the more to the whole situation. If you can navigate the the murky waters and be selfish yet still be a decent team player along the way, then you you should be positioning yourself in a much more positive position, right? Uh, because you're just going to make enemies by being selfish and a shit. You know, people are just not going to like you. They're not going to want to help you. And when it comes down to it, like you said. Um, Judo is an individual sport, but you know you you need someone to train with. You can't be doing shadow uchikomi and uchikomi rubbers and training on your own, right? You do need to be part of a team. It's um, it's a strange sport in that respect. You know, we do need other people. It's not like like I mentioned Olympic weightlifting, right? I could just train in my garage on my own and compete and not have a coach and 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 be able to survive to a certain extent mm-hmm. autonomously, right? But in judo, we don't have that luxury. We need a team. So if you start being, no, you stop being a team player. You start just, just, just really being selfish and really just think about, you know, your your needs and not considering anyone else. You know, you're not going to make any friends, and before you know it, you're gonna, yeah, be stuck doing shikami rubbers on your own. <laughs> so, so AI yeah. AI can't help you when you're in judo. <laughs> no, thankfully. <laughs> Thankfully, um, you know, I, I've got some friends who are obviously like a little bit worried um, of what the AI is going to do to to the, the the space that they operate in. But at least at judo, we, you know, we're, we're relatively safe in that regard for now. Um, the automated uh, Uchikomi dummies come out there, then we're going to start worrying. Yeah, hey David, I've got uh, I've got a, a follow up question for something that you said earlier. You mentioned about um, having a learning disability, ADHD, as a child, and. Mm. So have you have you put the two and two together with kids with learning disabilities and a disciplined sport like judo uh, as being a maybe a stepping stone for some of those kids who actually are struggling, you know, maybe with the learning disability, that this may be something that they could get into in order to, you know, excel at and, you know, be a part of a, a team? Yeah, so when when I was a kid and I was told I had it, 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 it didn't make sense to me. I didn't know what it meant. Um, I was only young and I just knew I had a lot of energy. Um, and there was times where, you know, that energy would sort of explode out of me in, in sort of a bit more of a wild burst. And uh, and then 
I've, like I said before, done lots of self-reflection and look back and, you know, what was going on. And now as an adult with hindsight and the ability to actually understand maybe what was going on, um, I feel as like it's positioned me in a, in a, in a way that I'm able to be empathetic to what's going on. Like when, when kids come into judo, oh, and adults, when, when people come into judo, uh, you know, they're, they're coming from their own, their own journey and, or the, you know, they're on their own journey and, you know, they, they have different requirements. And I feel as though my experience has put me in a position where I'm able to, to serve those requirements. I can, you know, you got the, the, the kid who's can't, you know, you're in the class and you're sort of like trying to coach and what there's that, there's that kid or there's a couple of kids who just, they can't stand still and they're just, it's just chaos. And, you know, I can see it and I can, I can sort of appreciate what's going on. And going back to what I said before about the teacher's, that you know rubbed me up the wrong way. I was a teacher at school when I was eight. I told me I would never amount to anything because I couldn't sit still in class, right? And I still can't sit still. I'm still fidgeting all over the place. I've got my my hands down low. I'm just like playing with my hands now. Right? I just can't sit still. Right? It's just just impossible for me. Right? And that's fine. You know, and I see those kids, and I'm like, you know, as long as it's not too disruptive, I just I just leave them to it. You know, as long as they're watching. Uh, and sometimes if it gets too much, you know, it's after you have to send some children off the mat just temporarily or whatever else, or depending on the behavior. But I always try to explain to them, you know, what's going on. Like I never sort of like, so that was something else I hated. I hated when a teacher was just like, right, get off. And then, right, you know, there's no sort of, you just like, okay, you're in trouble. And it was no real explanation. And it, so for me, I always try and, I always try and talk to the individual and, try to explain what's going on. And like the amount of times I've turned around to the kid and said, listen, I was the kid that got sent off. I was the one that was messing around. I was that kid who was talking and wouldn't shut up. I was always the one that got in trouble. It didn't matter if the whole class could be talking, I was the one that got in trouble, right? And, you know, so I, I when I, t- I talk to the kid, I'm like, yo, listen, like, you know, I'm, as someone who is in your position, I can I can tell you now it's much more, enjoyable being on the mat learning than being told to stand against the wall or sit off right yeah i know what's going on i can't sit still i can't stop talking i get it but sometimes you know if it is too disruptive i do have to remove that disruption from the sort of the the moment so the other kids can learn and then you know i've got to bring the other kid back in um and with that sort of, I spoke at about the beginning, like the the emotional side. You know, I could see when kids are just getting it's just getting a bit too much for them, and I feel as though it's positioned me quite nicely to be able to understand how to manage that in this in respect to uh, when a kid needs to be pushed. Because sometimes your kid comes over, they're like, "Oh, I've hurt my elbow," and I'm like, "You haven't. Get on with it." You know, you can tell when you know like they're just trying to. Oh, they just bumped it, right? Or you know, it, 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 and like so, I understand when you've got to sort of be that hard, hard coach. But like, no, 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 come on. Or you know, like someone's getting tired in the session. Like, no, 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 you got to pick yourself up. You're not as tired as you think you are, right? Or when you see someone, you're like, no, 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 that person is definitely tired. Like, oh, that person's in. You know, like I, I feel as though I'm able to navigate. Not perfectly, obviously. You know, it's sometimes it's sort of you, <laughs> you get it wrong, uh, but. I feel as though it has positioned me, me in um in a way to really empathize with what's going on and what that child or the adult needs, whether they do need the pick the pickup or they do need a bit of a bit of that, you know, the, the gentler side, you know, because we all need a bit of gentle um care sometimes. 
Uh, and we all need to, you know, get on with it. Stop being soft kind of attitude as well at times. Yeah. One thing I, I've learned, you know, I'm, I'm grateful I get a lot of mat time in the evenings. I get to coach quite a lot. And I've learned for myself on how to read. You know, I can kind of like group kids now where it's like, these kids are going to learn the way, you know, if I'm going to be talking nice and quiet and they're going to get it. These other kids need me to show them. And that, so can you touch on, you know, how much as a coach you can learn from your students? Because I think it's something that a lot of people talk about, but, you know, they talk about, oh, well, he, you know, this one student, especially if we kind of back into business where it's like, oh, this one client I had taught me this because it's his function where athletes do things and you're like, wow, why didn't I think of it like that? Because kids are smart and people are smart, right? Yeah, kids kids are far smarter than I think we give them credit for. Um, especially, I don't know, like I, I, I look at kids now, I mean, when, when I was the age of some of the kids I'm teaching, I was like climbing trees and falling out of them and running around. These kids are like programming computers. And <laughs> it's just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just amazed. I was like, oh, okay. I feel like a caveman, like banging sticks together and like making all fire. <laughs> um I think the thing that the kids really teach me, and this is something um, I had this sort of realization a while ago, and the kids really remind me of this, is just to not take life too seriously. Like the kids will find just to come out with some jokes. Uh, you know, they just teach me to have that appreciation. Well, appreciation for the mundane, right? Kids are just so excited by absolute crap. And as adults, we're just like, all right, cool. You, you did a star jump, right? But like, I, th- I feel as though we're missing that that sort of that that fun and playful side sometimes, right? You know, you, you know, and, and that's what sometimes with the adults, and you know, I get new adults, and I'm like, right, guys, come on, we're going to do forward rolls. You know, and I've got an adult who's in his forties, hasn't done a forward roll in thirty years, right? And then you can just see sometimes they're like, this is amazing. Right, it's something just as simple as it's the forward roll, right? Because you just haven't done that. You don't need to do a forward roll in everyday life most of the time, right? It's just not. You don't need. To, when waking up to going to bed, it's not like a requirement for you know for the <laughs> population, right? So you know they come down and they, it's just reminding them to have fun. And the kids sort of the kids remind me of that, right? And you know they come out with comments and um, like they just just that sort of innocent kind of appreciation of fun. Oh, there's a kid in my class. He's like, he comes in, he's like, hello, gingerbread man. And that's when he calls me. Right? And I, you know, I could be, I could get pissed off at that. I could be like, no, 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 no. Call me. You know, I'm just like, afternoon, Daniel, how are you? Yep. <laughs> you know, and I laugh about it. It's, you know, and it just reminds, it. so the thing like I've learned from the kids really in these, and what I try and help with the, the adults a lot of the time, because I think as adults, we've forgotten this is just to have fun. You know, to to enjoy it and to really take enjoyment in the simple, um, and and to yeah laugh about things, um, not to take it too too seriously. So it's supposed so you, to be fun, right? You know, even, even as an athlete, right? So uh, even as an athlete, this is something um, uh, I got caught up in was being too serious when I was trying to compete. I was like, no, 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 I'm going to take this very seriously. This is I've I've got to I've got to focus. I, I've got to be serious, right? And then. I was I was getting beaten and things at competitions. I was like, this is shit. Like, this is no fun. Like, why am I doing this? If I'm not having fun, why am I doing it? And I really changed my thought process going into competitions. 
and the sort of the mental self-talk on the day or leaning into competition on the day of a competition. It was just like, I'm, I'm here to have fun. I win or lose, I want to have a good time, right? And for me, having a good time, it's just fighting as hard as I can, right? So even if I, if I fight as hard as I can and I lose because that person's better than me, like, cool, I can't do anything about that, right? There's always going to be someone better than you somewhere, right? So as long as I can fight as hard as I can, I can control that and I can have fun. Uh, yeah. Some of the most successful uh, athletes are the ones who are loose and uh, relaxed, you know, versus the uptight ones and maybe, you know, hard on themselves or, or whatever, whatever have it. Uh, so I'll ask you, are you a player's coach or a coach's coach? Oh, that's a good question. That is a good question. Probably leaning more towards players coach, but it, it definitely depends on the situation. I feel as though, I'm, like I said before, I'm able to, you know, take take a hat off. Uh, I put another hat on depending on the situation. Because um, I've got like I've got a couple of coaches that I, I'm taking under my wing that I'm sort of mentoring and helping to be coaches. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of satisfaction in that. Uh, and just watching watching them grow, and but yeah, I'm probably probably leaning more towards being a players coach. Excellent. There's not a wrong answer to that. No. Yeah. But I think that's awesome too that you are taking coaches under your wing, right? Like yep. in a lot of aspects of my life, like David. For some of the listeners don't know either, like JB. You know, we're partners in business, but JB's my mentor, right? And in yeah. judo, I've had amazing coaches that have helped me become a judo coach as well. But it's far too often you see like great coaches or like success and it they're selfish, like we were talking about earlier. And they don't help anybody get that success. Like this is mine. I built this. Screw off everybody else. Like if you have talent and knowledge and you have the ability and the passion to share it, you know, why aren't you? Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't do that. So kudos to you for Sharing, you know, everything you've done with the judo way of life with online, the in presence and and now helping, you know, the next, next era of judo coaches and, you know, the next era of the judo way of life. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it was, it was something actually, I, well, I can't take full credit for it. Right. And you talk about mentors. And so um, I mentioned Brian, my coach from the UK and, and, you know, he's still my coach now and he, the amount of lessons I learned from him, you know, I may, maybe didn't appreciate it at the time or or didn't really understand at the time when I was younger you know I was I remember thinking like, oh this is gold but like I don't I don't get it right and then um you know again some of that, that reflection and looking back and you know really trying to sort of figure out how to how I want to go about behaving uh, a, lot, a lot of it stems from Brian and he he was such a Huge influence on so many people. Oh, he, is, he is such a huge influence on so many people. Uh, and he was the same. He just wanted to share. He just wanted to help. And if, if people were willing to put the effort in, he was always willing to help. And it didn't matter who they were, where they came from type of thing. It was just uh, he, he just wanted to share share his knowledge and, and still does. Um, as long as the person was willing to put the effort in as well. Um, he, he was he was willing to put the effort in. And yeah, incredible incredible influence on my life and you know i really sort of got that from him and and, and that's what i want i just want to i want to share my knowledge with anyone who's willing to 
well, willing to listen <laughs> and then also, you know, to put the effort in and, and, and then I want to help them, you know, whether that's as an athlete, as a coach or or anything. And and it's interesting to say about mentors, you know, it's, it's something I, I've, I'm very fortunate that I do have several mentors, uh, people that are very successful and in different ways that I'm able to talk to. And it's been very impactful on my life, you know, having that around. So, you know, as a piece of advice, I mean, I think going back to the what you said earlier about the um, important lessons um, is I've got, I've got another one, <laughs> the secondary important lesson that I've learned uh, is just recognizing, uh, you know, that people and uh, who who have a knowledge of any kind, um, and you know, talking to them and and learning from them and being in a position to take on board their information you know so not being oh, i've got this i know this or you know not having that attitude being a case of being a sponge being like, i i i can learn from anyone but you know finding the people that you know suit your uh suit your personality and you know can help you yep for sure shout out to the mentors out there like they, they don't get any credit for the most part and uh yet they're uh, a very quiet influence on the majority of people who find success. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, shout out to, to anybody who's mentoring out there right now and just taking it, taking people under their wing just for, just for fun. Uh, I can't, can't appreciate those people enough. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's the one thing that, uh, you know, lately I've had some self-reflection on, on just the perspective of it, of like, I, I talk about it lots, the transfer of knowledge, you know, it's not just what I know. It's my mentor, my mentor's mentor and like this whole chain, but then also the amplification. So I use my sensei, Paul, my original coach, you know, he was talking to me. He's like, man, Greg, we're almost at a hundred members this year. I've never gotten to a hundred members. He's run that club for over 27 years now at at least 40 people, 40 students a year. That's 40 students for 20 times 27 plus that he's created an impact to whether they know it or not. For sure. They'll all go, hmm, that one time, like that you said, time. I didn't know what it meant at the time, yeah. but that that guy, Paul, in the yeah. E, wearing that funny suit, like he <laughs> yeah. taught me something. Yeah, that's true. And, and it's just like that, you know, if, yeah. you, if you can, one person listens to the three of us uh, jab and blab for the last 40 minutes, one person gets it, awesome, job done. Just take something out of it, right? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not asking you to go out and write a book about it. I'm asking you just to, you know, to take some sort of advice out of it and uh, apply it to your daily life. Right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, it's, uh, that um, having that sponge mentality, you know, just where, where can I, where can I learn? What can I learn? Uh, and then where can I then use it to better help others as well? David, you mentioned earlier too that you're uh, starting your online dojo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Judo Way of Life, um, I've been putting out a lot of content over the past year. Um, well, longer, but the, sort of the 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 new content that's going to basically be the the foundation of what the the Judo Way of Life, the uh, the online dojo will be. Uh, so that's all free. I put out a lot of the the content on YouTube, and then the the well, the stuff that will be behind, um, for the, the subscription on the website. That's with my coaching included. Yeah. So at the end of the day, that's that's uh, the the throwing and the the written explanation is the stuff that's all free on YouTube. Uh, and then the bit that so will be the 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 unique selling point is me. Uh, you know, and 
again, you know, we've spoken about coaches and teachers and mentors and, and like I say, you, you find someone who, who suits you. Uh, it's the same, same coaches, right? You, you, you look to someone who you like, you understand, you vibe with, uh, and then that's going to help you learn. You know, there's a lot of coaches out there, you know, so you, I know I'm not right for everyone. I've got a particular style of coaching. I know some people find it quite abrasive. I know some people think it's amazing. And that's just based on the feedback I've got off other people, right? And I'm I'm happy. Um, and like you just said then, Greg, about, you know, if I can just help one person, job done, right? And I'm sure there is one person out there that does, uh, will value me as a coach. Uh, sure. But yeah, so um, I wanted to share a lot of the information for free. Uh, so I think it's important to put, put the stuff out there uh, to be accessible to people. And then if, you know, people do choose that they want, they want a little bit more, they want a little bit more of my, my style of coaching, then they, they've got the opportunity. So uh, I've got about 20 hours of footage that's ready to go and uh, plenty more that I'm editing at the minute and working my way through that I'll, I'll drip feed onto the website once it's, uh, once it's launched. Very cool. Awesome. Um, well, I know we just plugged that, but before we go, David, uh, where else can people find you out on the webs if they're not in Sydney? Yeah. So, uh, let me have a little think. So yeah, on Instagram, we have the judo way of life. Um, and then YouTube also the judo way of life. I think that the, the two biggest platforms I, I share information on, uh, and then yeah, the website will be, it's just the judo way of life.com. So they're the three best places. Excellent. David also has a great podcast. It's it's still on Apple. You know, they're not yeah taking a bit of a for those that are out there, go listen to it. Yeah, yeah. So it's on Spotify actually. So yeah, thank you for sharing that one. Uh I think I'll have 30 episodes. Um and I'll be yeah, I'll be kicking that off again in the next couple of weeks. Uh because I love having conversations. I love talking. Uh and I feel everyone's got a story to tell. It it doesn't matter like who they are, like we've all we've all learned something on our journey. Um and it's just nice to position myself to allow others to share that story. Yeah, that's excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Well, David, appreciate you uh, joining us and taking time out of your busy coaching schedule. Um, well, yeah. well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's, um, it's good to speak to you again, Greg. It's been like a year since we did judo together in Saskatoon. Yeah. Um, hopefully yeah, hopefully uh, we don't wait too long before we're on the mats together again. No, yeah. Well, it'd be nice to bring out a team once we get the club up and running. I'll be looking to do some overseas travel because uh, it was something that seriously impacted my life in a positive way. Um, so it'd be nice to give others that same opportunity. Uh, and Canada, Canada is definitely a beautiful country to visit. So I'm sure we can organize something. Excellent. Awesome. David, Hive Nation, we're out. Cheers, guys. <laughs>